We ended last week where the Pharisees believed, the chief priests believed that Jesus very well may end up out of that tomb. And if you remember in verse 62 to 66, they went to Pilate and said, hey, one of the clearest things Jesus taught was on the third day he would raise from the dead. We're going to see a lot of irony in this story because the apostles, even though they were told that, I can show you four times in Matthew where Jesus said plainly, and he actually said that word, they understood him plainly that he was going to die and raise again on the third day. They kept hearing the die thing and their brains just sort of froze and they never quite got the resurrected on the third day thing. But it was public knowledge. It was front page news. The Pharisees knew it, that this was a very clear and open thing that Jesus proclaimed. He would die and raise again on the third day. So they went to Pilate and said, we need some of your mighty Roman soldiers, a cohort, about 16. And we need them to guard the tomb. And we need to make it an official Roman act by putting a sill across it, which meant if anybody tampered with that, they died. If the Roman soldiers allowed anybody to tamper with that, they died. It, it couldn't get more severe. In this day and age, this kind of guarding of the tomb. And they said, we just need it for three days because after the third day, it's irrelevant. If he raises again on the fourth day or fifth day or sixth day, it doesn't matter anymore. It's the third day thing that we have to get soldiers in place before the third day to make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, we come to verse 1 here this morning of Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, at the first day, that's Sunday, that's why we worship on Sunday. We worship on the day of resurrection. We see this in the book of Acts. It's talked about in Corinthians where they would meet together on the first day representing uh, the day of resurrection. In, in Hebrew numerology, seven was the number of completion. We have that now. Seven notes in a scale, seven days in a week. And then when you hit number eight, eight's the number of new beginnings. So every Monday or every Sunday that we meet, it's the eighth day, <laughs> the first day of the next week, but it's the eighth day, a day of new beginnings. That should happen with us when we come together it shouldn't be just some dead church service with a bunch of dead people singing a bunch of dead songs and some dead pastor, uh, you know, talking up there and the quicker it gets done, the better, because the whole thing is just sort of religious and hard to endure. Sitting in the dentist chairs, you know, get sooner you get this done. That Church should never be that way. We should come together and sense this newness of life every time. Well, they came out on Sunday of the week began to dawn. So it was dark in one of the Gospels. It was light in another Gospel. It was early, early in the morning, just as the sun's barely breaking out. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. There, there were several Marys. And uh, as you compare all the Gospels, you get the whole picture. One Gospel doesn't give you the whole picture. But I'll four Gospels together gives you a lot of detail of what all was happening here. But these ladies are the first to come out, the first of the dawn. They were coming to find a dead body. 
They were not coming to the resurrection. They weren't coming to see if the tomb was empty. It had not yet clicked in their mind, even though they were followers and heard all the teachings of Jesus, it had just not clicked in their mind. And on the third day, I will raise again. And uh, the Gospel of Mark tells us they were thinking amongst themselves, who's going to move the stone? The stone that was rolled in front of the tomb was somewhere between two and a half and three and a half tons. Minimum 14 guys to move that stone. And so these ladies are coming out. <laughs> There's just not too many people up at this time. It's still dark. They're filling their way through, trying to get the little glimmers of light as they're walking around this garden area, trying to find the tomb. It wasn't like they were going to find, you know, 14, 16 guys sitting around doing nothing. So they really hadn't thought through this. They just knew they needed to finish the embalming process of Jesus. Remember from the cross, they followed Joseph of Arimathea. These ladies, they were there at the cross. The disciples weren't. They were there at the cross. They followed his dead body all the way to the tomb. They saw where they laid Jesus. They saw what degree of preparation uh, Joseph and Nicodemus had done, and they knew it wasn't sufficient. But Joseph and, and Nicodemus couldn't finish it because the Sabbath had begun and they had to stop or they'd be breaking the Sabbath. And so they, they knew this had to be done. Again, they didn't really think through the, the logistics of the situation. They just couldn't sleep anymore. They were up as soon as the Sabbath was over. The moment they could get going, they were doing it. And they came out there and behold, there was a great earthquake. Remember there was an earthquake when he was on the cross? Well, there was an earthquake three days later as well. And this earthquake evidently was caused by the angels. And notice, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the tomb and sat on it. So this angel came from heaven to open the tomb for these ladies to see that it was empty. It wasn't so Jesus could get out. Because we all see in John 20 that Jesus can pass right through walls. There was, his new body, it, was, it, had, it did not have the physical earthly limitations. He didn't need to be let out. It was for them to be let in. So this angel is there, not for Jesus. He's there for the people trying to get to Jesus. And it tells us in verse 3, only in the Gospel of Matthew, his countenance was, was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. Th this angel is freshly from heaven, <laughs> and he's got more heaven on him than earth. We see in the other Gospels, it says they thought they were young men. Well, in this particular case, these ladies were right there as soon as he came from heaven. He set in on the stone that he just rolled it back and then he's sitting on top of it. It's a very large, round disc. And it, it just it seems like this guy's sort of a character. You know, I can just see him with his legs crossed and, you know, picking his teeth with a toothpick. Hey, guys. But yet, I don't think he realized how his heavenly presence was affecting these earthlings. It was like lightning. It was his garments. They never saw anything so heavenly white before. 
And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. These Romans, these mighty soldiers, one little angel, and they are laying on their side, sucking their thumbs, saying, Mommy, Mommy. They are terrified. It didn't seem that this would even be possible to scare these mighty band of soldiers. But yet they were terrified. And in verse 5, the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Ding, 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 ding. Guys, the Pharisees, the chief priests remembered it. Why didn't you guys come and see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead? And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring this word to his disciples. And so... Uh, we, we know in between verse 4 and 5, Luke 24, verse 1 through 3 says this. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, a certain other woman with them came to the tomb. There's more than just two of them, several women. Two of them are named in, in Matthew. But it came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled from the tomb. They went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So then they came out of the empty tomb, and then they saw the angel. So it seems like maybe the darkness was hiding certain things, like soldiers terrified there, but like dead men, like they're acting like they're dead. They're so afraid, they don't even want to open their eyes. Then they observed, hey, the stone's already rolled away. Jesus' body, and they go in to see it empty, and they come out, and they have this conversation with the angel. And this angel says, you guys, those Roman soldiers, yeah, they need to be afraid because they're not seeking. They're not here to seek Jesus. But I know that if you're here to seek Jesus, you have nothing to be afraid of. Do we get this, guys? If you are seeking Jesus... You have nothing else to fear. It's so funny. In the 40 years I've pastored as, junior, as a high school pastor or assistant pastor, and most of that as a senior pastor, I think every Easter we're coming together at Easter time, and there's something to fear. Man, I had people so freaked out on the Y2K. All the computers are going to stop, and... We weren't going to have any water or any power. Or, and, and people were terrified. I mean, I would get a line of people, what do you think of the Y2K? Help, you know, help us. And I'm like, guys, you've been saying you want to lose 20 pounds. If we can't eat for a while, you're going to get that diet you wanted. You've been saying you, you keep planning every year to go out camping with the kids and you never do. Well, now you're going to get your opportunity. You've been waiting for that vacation, that long vacation. Well, it's coming. So what are we going to do if the Y2K happens? We're going to get together. We're going to fellowship. We're going to sing. We're going to praise the Lord. We're going to lose weight. We're going to play with the kids. But, but what if we starve to death? 
that would be the worst. We go to heaven. We, we have nothing to fear. 9-11. So much to fear. The terrorists. The war. Of course, now people are saying, what about China? They might attack. Yes, but several of you have said that you felt you missed your calling to be a missionary. You don't have to go to China. China's coming here. We'll have more than enough Chinese people to witness to if that happens. What, what do we have to fear? We're seeking Jesus. And there is nothing formed against us of warfare that will prosper. Everything that comes at us, it may dent us, it may wound us, it may hurt us in these physical bodies. But God's plan is to turn it around for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Or I'll just say those who are seeking Jesus. Every bad earth thing, devil thing, man thing, evil men, evil demons, evil world, whatever they throw at you, God's going to turn it around for good, for his glory. And, and a matter of fact, he's, he's planned the Lord's plan on some fiery arrows being shot your way this week. It's okay. We'll quench them by our faith. You're seeking Jesus. This heavenly scene shouldn't fear you. Well, what if I'm afraid to die? Oh, don't be afraid to die. It says in Romans 8, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 8, if anybody's condemning you, you're condemning yourself or another human being's condemning you or Satan's condemning you. Stop it. Because God did not withhold his only begotten son to now not freely give you of all things. If he didn't hold back his son, what else would he withhold that would be of a greater value? That would be like a guy saying, hey, can I borrow 20 bucks from you? Sure. And he, the guy gives you $20. Oh, you know what? I got 99 cents. I need one more penny. Can I have a penny? No. Get away from me. I'm not going to give my pennies up. If he's willing to give you $20, he's going to be willing to give you a penny, right? If God didn't withhold his own son, why would he withhold forgiveness from you now? Why would he hold heaven from you now? Why would he withhold peace for, for you now? Why would he withhold victory from you now? This is why it goes on in Romans 8 to say, nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. Now see, when I say this, nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. Some of us are just like the disciples. Oh, Jesus said he was going to die, but that's it. Ah, you didn't say anything after he would die. Three Three, come on, come on, three, three days. Three days after he had raised from the dead. He said that every time. <laughs> every time he said he would be taken in the hands of, the, of these men and, and die a brutal death. On the third day, I'd raise every time, but they didn't get it. Christians are sort of like that. Do you believe Jesus loves you and died on the cross and rose again to forgive your sins? Yes. Then why are you afraid? Didn't he also say 
that he died for you because he loved you? Yes, I believe that. Romans 8 said, if you believe he loves you, then go to the next thing. If God loves you, nothing can separate you from his love. Neither height. Boy, I've piled up a lot of sins this week. It was a rough week. It was a difficult time. I sinned. And they're piled high. Nothing. No matter how high your sins may be. No matter how low your sins may be. No matter how numerous your sins may be. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Neither height, nor depth, nor principality or power, demon or angel or any supernatural being. Neither things present, nor things, what? To come. Neither life or death will separate us from the love of God. Do we understand that? Boy, I'm doing pretty good spiritually today. This would be a great day to have a heart attack and die because I'll feel really good standing in front of the presence of the Lord. But I'm really afraid about next week because, man, I've not had this good six days in a row seeking God in a long time. This would be a great time to die. No, guys, we, we have no fear of the future. We have no fear of life or death. A lot of people are killing themselves right now because they are afraid of life. The suicide rate now has gone higher than the COVID death rate for people under the age of 20. Do we understand that? They're spending time alone and there's no hope. They're spending time with themselves, not the person they want to be on social media, but the real self, and they get depressed about it. They get worried and anxious and fearful, and all of these things cause a depression, and their brain starts spittering and sputtering, the wires start crisscrossing, sparks going off, and they just got to stop the pain, and they kill themselves because life is too scary to continue to live. I don't know how non-Christians do it. I don't know how non-Christians make it in marriage. I know I couldn't. Without the Lord, there's no way. I don't know how you wake up on Monday mornings without the Lord to give glory to all week. I don't know. It'd be so empty to me to not have God in my life, to not have prayer and the word and his divine calling, his divine mission. He's got a plan and a work every day for me. Every week, I'm going to see the hand of God in my life to touch other people and to see miracles, to see the Lord work. Every week is, is sort of a sense of anticipation. I'm getting up on Monday. What's God going to do this week? And as I read his word, I feel heaven open up and I'm speaking to my heart. I get a hunger and a cry and crying out to God, Lord Jesus, come quickly and Lord, give us power and strength this week. I don't know how people make it without God. A lot are not. But this COVID thing, whatever it is, it's causing them to say, I fear life. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. If you're seeking Jesus, don't be afraid. If you're seeking Jesus, you've already come and seen. You've already seen the resurrected Lord. Now go and tell the disciples. Go tell the guys that weren't there at the cross. 
Go tell the guys that ran in the Garden of Gethsemane and why I was praying. They were sleeping, and when the guards came, they ran away. Go tell them that I'm risen from the dead. This really shouldn't have to be, should it? We shouldn't have to tell believers that Christ is risen from the dead. But you know we do. There's some of you right now not living in the consciousness of the resurrection. There's some of you that are not living conscious of the power of the resurrection. And here we need to understand that God is God now, not at the cross anymore. The cross is done. Now our God is resurrected. Every day, Jesus is resurrected. <laughs> Every day, we come to our resurrected Lord. It's interesting that the tomb was empty. They, they saw it for themselves. The tomb was empty. And, you know, you go through the world, they say, Buddha is the way. Well, Buddha's tomb we can find. Uh, you know, Allah is the way, but they're... Prophet Muhammad, you can find his tomb, Confucius, the communist Stalin and Lyndon. But the tomb of Jesus, wherever it may be, I think it is the Gordon tomb that we look at in Israel. It's empty. One thing you're not going to see there is any bones or any decay. Matter of fact, in Psalm 1610, it says because Jesus was not a sinner, but he died for our sins. He says in Psalm 1610, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus raising again on the third day. You say, why was it the third day? Because it wasn't going to be like the fourth day, like Lazarus, where they said, move the stone. And they said, but Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> when Jesus' stone was rolled away, there was nothing stinking. Because he was a righteous, holy Man, without sin, his flesh, although he died, it did not see corruption. You say, well, it's sort of a minor point. It's the first sermon. The very first Christian sermon was all about this point. Where Peter talks about it in Acts 2, saying David wasn't talking about himself because his tomb is with us today. His corrupt body, whatever's left of it, will be found in his tomb to this day. But Jesus' body not seeing corruption is a clear prophecy to you and to I that he indeed was raised again with no sin. But, but how did he die? Remember Ecclesiastes? Or excuse me, Ezekiel? The soul that sinned shall surely die. Jesus never sinned. So hypothetically, he could have hung on that cross forever. But he died. Why? Because he carried our sin. And not just the sin of one man, but the sin of the whole world. Jesus became sin from the first sin of Adam, the last sin committed, all the wickedest, evilest, vilest sins I won't even talk about. But all the wicked ones, the criminal ones, the twisted, perverted ones, all of the sins, Christ died for all of them. But yet, when he raised again, 
his body did not see corruption because there was no sin with him anymore. Do, do we understand that? The only reason a person is not going to be in heaven is because he did not believe that his price had already been paid. That the redemption price had already been paid. That's why it says things like in Romans 10, all you got to do is believe Jesus is Lord and God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's a Bible verse. You're, you're saying, hold it. All you got to do is believe Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead and you're saved. All you got to do is claim. All you got to do is claim the empty tomb. <laughs> all you got to do is claim that his body saw no corruption. All you got to do is, is say, Jesus is raised from the dead in perfect righteousness. Again, where did the sin go? If Jesus is now resurrected in perfect righteousness, where did our sin go? It's gone, guys. The Bible says buried in the deepest sea. <laughs> the Bible says scattered as far as the east is to the west. We have a North Pole and a South Pole, but we don't have a West Pole and an East Pole. Because the West and East never meet. But the Lord scattered him to the East, to the West, to be remembered no more. Every person's sin has been paid for in all of human history on Jesus. That's why, again, that deep cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The burden he bore was not the sin of one man, but the sin of all men of all mankind in a moment upon him. And he paid for the penalty of our sin. And so now we need to come and we need to tell everyone, Jesus is risen. He has paid for your sins. Have, have you ever had the situation where the Lord leads you to share with somebody, maybe a total stranger? Maybe you're down on the pier at Sill Beach and you're just cruising along, having a nice little day and the Lord just puts this burden on your heart to go tell that person that the Lord loves them. To go share a verse that God gave you this morning in your prayer time of seeking him. I love that picture of Jesus in Isaiah 50, verse four and five. Speak it of himself in human flesh. Jesus says, the Lord God, my father, has awakened me morning by morning to quicken my ear to hear as a learner that I might have the word to sustain the weary in the day. God will do that for you too. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do, and greater works. Well, one of the works Jesus did was he allowed the father every morning to speak to his weary soul and then more than just for his weary soul, for the weary souls of others. We're the light, we're the salt. We're just to be this cup of God's greatness is splashing everywhere we go. Well, I've had that opportunity more than once where somebody stops and, and just starts talking to me and says, you know what I was gonna do in an hour from now? I have everything arranged. I was going to go kill myself. I've had people share with me some very dark things they were getting ready to do. But yet God intervened. 
are we afraid of? Well, if I tell somebody Christ resurrected, they may not believe me. Jesus' own disciples didn't believe these ladies. <laughs> We're going to end today where it says, and they worship Jesus with some doubting. <laughs> That's sort of our human nature. It's sinful. It's fighting against that, the things I don't want to do, like believe, like have full trust, like have a joyful faith. My flesh doesn't want any of that. The things I want, I, I, I'm fighting to get there. Things I don't want, they're all piling up easily. Easy to get to sin. Hard to live a righteous life in these human bodies. Paul, in Acts 13, preaches the same exact sermon as Peter. An entire sermon that Jesus' body did not see corruption. And what a prophecy this is. That he indeed is the righteous one that raised from the dead. Well, in verse 9 and 10 here, now as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Radical. They, they heard the angel. They're, Jesus is gone. I know he says he's risen from the dead. I'm going to go tell these guys, and they're not going to want to hear this. And, and, and they were going, but they, they had such mixed feelings. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I need to jump in here. <laughs> Between them hearing from the angel and them telling the disciples, I need to jump in here. And he stopped them. This is a time of rejoicing. You heard. Jesus is risen from the dead. One emotion. Rejoicing. Fear? No fear. No, that's not the emotion. Do we understand, guys? This is our calling. This is why we are alive today. To go tell people that Jesus raised from the dead. But, 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 I'm afraid. Don't fear. Only rejoice. But, 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 I know they won't believe me. It's a tough thing in our human flesh. Even the apostles had a hard time with this. Remember in John 4 where Jesus went to the woman at the well? And he was talking to her and she Finally, he said, man, if you had asked me, I would have given you water for everlasting life. And she has this religious conversation. And finally, finally Jesus says, look, I know you. You've been, the guy you're living with isn't your husband. And you've been married five times before, which even the pagans would say that's a lot. <laughs> she ran into town, told everybody that Jesus knows everything about me. The whole town came out. But his apostles had just got through getting carne asada burritos at the taco stand. They came and brought one to Jesus. He said, no, I'm not hungry. I've already ate. And what does he say? The fields are what? White unto harvest. You realize it's like, hurry and harvest because it's going to go rotten. That's what he's saying. You, you can't wait another week. You can't wait another day. You get it or you lose it. And then what does he say? It's like this. When you share the gospel, 
Sometimes you're just planting a seed. You'll never even know whether that seed did anything. Sometimes you go to plant a seed. There's already a seed there, and you're watering on that seed, but you walk away, and you don't know if watering that seed did any good whatsoever. And then he said, and then there's those who come see a fully grown plant, and they get to reap it and have the fruits, the joys of seeing that bush become a, a plant, become food and nutrition. He said, but either way, whatever it is you're doing, don't not do it. Well, but if I go knock on somebody's door and say, Jesus is arisen, Jesus is alive, Jesus rose again after three days, they're going to look at me and they're going to say, you stinking Christian, I hate your guts, I'm going to get my gun and shoot you. You know, I would say if you knock on enough doors, you're going to eventually get that. I sure do. I think, unfortunately, in our country today, people just are, don't even want to waste, waste the energy of rejecting you. <laughs> They're like, oh, I'm happy for you. Nice little boy. Now go, go on your way. But what's the Bible say in Isaiah 50? The word of God goes out. It never returns void. It always accomplishes that what it's sent out to do. Don't be afraid. Only rejoice. And go give the word. Jesus is risen. That's it. I remember years ago being at a gas station and, and I saw this girl there and and, and, and the Lord just put on my heart, give her a track. And in those days I had tracks in my cart. I couldn't find any. I looked all over, found one on the, the ground under the seat. And I went over and, and I just said, you know what? The Lord's put this on my heart to give this to you. Jesus loves you. And she was very brusque, very rude, very harsh. T clearly had had a hard life type person. She threw it in her purse and stormed away. And I thought, Lord, what's that? Years later, if I remember correctly, it was six years later, I put my name and phone number on there. I got a phone call and she goes, you probably won't remember this, but at this gas station, blah, blah, blah. She goes, I finally read it after six years and I'm a born again Christian and I go to a church called Calvary Chapel Downey now. <laughs> Some seeds do germinate, but the Bible says, even if they reject you, there's a beautiful incense that goes up to God. In 2 Corinthians, it says, some life unto life. To others, the message is death unto death. For some of you, you go knock on their door and say, Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. And it smells to them like a dead, rotting corpse. But to those who will believe, you're the guy who believed. Are you glad somebody got out of their comfort zone? Are you glad somebody broke the shell? The whole world is telling us, especially in America, you have no right to talk to me about personal things. My personal life is my personal life. And you're one to talk about religion, and that's personal. You have no right. You should be ashamed of yourself that you even cracked that shell to come into my inner world. We have every right because we have the command of God, and that is Satan trying to pound you to shut you up. But Paul says, 
We go share the gospel, and it says in 2 Corinthians 2, it's a beautiful incense unto God, whether life unto life or death unto death. Who is sufficient for these things? You know what? I bet if you went to the mall and you said, I'm going to purpose in my heart to give 10 people a track and tell them Jesus loves them, died for them, and rose again, I bet next week you would have somebody with you coming to church. That's not our goal. I don't care if you tell them about the church or not. Just tell them to find a good Bible teaching church. See what the Lord does. See, he's their shepherd. He'll get them where they need to go. But typically people say, well, what, what do I do now? Well, start reading the Bible. Where can I get one of those? Let me give you one. Here's my number. Let's hook up. There's no greater joy, guys, than having shared the gospel, than being this person. And on the other end of it, they believe. These gals go, and, and in verse 11, now while they were going, behold, some of the guards came to the city. They reported the chief priests and all things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, he will appease him uh, and make, sure, make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. The Roman soldiers didn't want to go to their commanders. That would be a death sentence. They went to Pilate saying, you're a politically slick guy. Get us out of this. Okay, till the day you die, here's this lying story you're going to tell. Because we don't want it to get back to anywhere else. This is called the stolen body theory. I'm not going to go into all these today, but... There's several theories that people have come up with to debunk the resurrection. And you know what happens? Very intellectual people like Simon Greenleaf, recent times Joshua Dow, guys that were died in the wool atheists who said, all, all I have to do to destroy Christianity is, is show how ludicrous it is that Jesus raised from the dead. And then when they try to take the various theories out there, they end up proving circumstantially that Jesus had to have risen from the dead and they become believers. Joshua Dow has written a book and literally millions of them have gone out over the last 30 years in almost every language in the world. More than a carpenter. It's a fabulous book explaining these various theories and, and why they can't be the the swoon theory, the hallucination theory, the wrong tomb theory, the twin brother theory. You say, oh, that's ridiculous. I heard a four and a half hour debate by a guy who believed in the twin brother theory. At first I thought, who has four and a half hours to talk about? It's so ridiculous. But he actually made a very, very good argument. It was ridiculous still at the end of it, but <laughs> he actually did a pretty good job of trying to make it sound intellectual. But I don't think anybody was swayed. Well, in verse 16 and 17, we end here. And the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountains which Jesus had appointed for them. And they saw him, and notice here again, they worshiped him, but some doubted. What do we find in this story? In verse 5, don't be afraid, the angel tells them. In verse 10, Jesus says, rejoice. Don't be afraid. And now he comes to these disciples and, and they're, they're, they can't not worship. He's risen from the dead, but yet they doubt still. That's okay. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He, he can work with that. 
Jesus said it takes a little tiny mustard seed of faith and you can move mountains. But notice here, they worshiped him. That Greek word, proskuneho, means to bow to the feet and kiss. They bowed down and worshiped at his feet. I don't know about you, but that sounds just like a wonderful place to be. Matter of fact, I just like to live right there. I love that picture in Revelation where they take off their crown that God had given them for their rewards on earth. And they throw it to the glassy sea and they all bow down and they worship him saying, you alone are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. They did believe. They also had some doubt going on. Remember in Acts 20, he says to Thomas, even after this time, Thomas was still having a hard time. And Thomas finally said, unless I can put my finger in the holes of his hand and my hand in his side, I won't believe. And Jesus came in, the door was locked. He appeared before them and he said, Thomas, poke away. Here it is. Here's my side, poke away. And Thomas said, ah, oh, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, blessed are you because you see and believe, but more blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. He was okay with his doubt. He worked it out of him, didn't he? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Doubts come, but there's answers to those questions you have. There's doubts, but continue in the word and your faith will grow more and more and more. The Lord, we come before you right now in Jesus' name. Looking at a part of this resurrection story, we know we're gonna see the end of it next week. But yet we come here today and we realize there is a, mighty gospel we have. There's a joyful message we have. And we know that there are many, many, many that will believe. Many, many won't think we're crazy. Many, many won't think we are stepping over the line. Many, many's hearts are crying out. They're suicidal. They're depressed. They're broken. They're feeling guilt of their sin. They're, they're bummed about their life story at this point. And Satan's condemning them, trying to kill them with suicide. Lord, help us to go and just say the simplest of things. Jesus loves you. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus died and rose again for you. Jesus is listening to you right now. One word, one phrase, one half a second can cause somebody to believe. Lord, help us to be those rejoicing right now. If you're here right now and, and you've walked away from God, you know, there, there's, so, there's a huge percentage of Americans and, and people all across Germany and England and Australia. The Western part of the world used to be such a rock bread of solid believers, and now that has been thinned out. Even the strongest of believers are afraid to open their mouths. Even the strongest of believers pray casually now. Even the most people that attend the church the most aren't seeking God every day in his word. Satan has had a real victory in the Western culture. And it's with you too. You're saying, I'm one of the guys that Satan's weak in my faith, caused me to doubt, caused me to turn away from God, caused me to cool off and be a lukewarm Christian so I affect nobody only depress myself. This is the message for you today. Don't be afraid anymore. Jesus loves you.
to the end. Jesus died on the cross for your backsliddenness. Jesus died on the cross for your lukewarmness. Jesus died on the cross with your apathy as well. And now you can just come as you are. God, here I am. I'm coming wounded. I'm coming with one step still in the world. I love that pot. <laughs> I love smoking that marijuana. I, I love getting drunk at least once a week. And, and, and I, I, I don't want to take my foot out of that world because it looks so appealing to me right now. But Lord, I know it's wrong. I know it's creeping in and choking me out. Maybe there's some other area that's on your heart right now, conviction. Just right now, cry out to God. I, I want to rejoice in you, Jesus. You paid for it. Be the Lord of my life. Receive me right now to yourself. That's it. There's no more to be said. There's no more to be talked about. You believed. He has acted. And now, Lord, strengthen everyone today in their faith and who's heard the word. And, and by this time next week, Lord, let it be that everyone who's heard this word here on live streaming around the nation, around the world, however far this message goes, that will not come back here next Sunday, Lord, till you've prompted them to tell somebody, even a disciple, that you have risen. Lord, please don't let us shut our mouth anymore. It's not right to take a lamp and put it under the bed. It's not right to take salt and take its saltiness away. Lord, please, God, make us the salt of the earth. Please, Lord, make us the light of the world. Please, Lord, put a trumpet in our hands because your return is near. The signs of the time are so obvious. It's so set up for the Antichrist to appear. Lord, help us in these last days to watch, watch ourselves, be ready for the coming, the rapture of the church and cause us in these last moments, everybody that we can grab who's drowning in the sea, to grab them out and to take them to the lifeboat. Let us be able to proclaim to everyone in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.